Can you think of a time, let me invite you to think of a time in your life when you have served someone else, when you've helped somebody else? Think of that that moment when maybe you've sacrificed time or energy or effort and you've put that into serving someone else. And I want you to think about that moment and what it felt like. What did you experience? Try to remember those feelings. And while you're, you're picturing that moment in your own life, maybe you've had this one as well. Have you ever had a moment where you set out to serve somebody, you set out to, to do some good in the world, and, uh, and you did it, you were maybe part of a mission trip or an effort or a, or a day of service, and, uh, and it was just such an incredible experience that you go home and you go, I think I might have gotten more joy and blessing out of this than the people we were serving. Anybody ever had that experience? Yesterday, I had just an incredible opportunity to go out with our mobile food pantry and serve at Vida Nueva Church. And uh, man, talk about blessings. I mean, that, it was just an incredible day. There was the, the blessing of, of two guys on our team who gave up going to the Detroit Auto Show. Yes, I'm looking at you. Who gave up going to the Detroit Auto Show because they knew that Sue was out with COVID and we're all praying for Sue. She's feeling better. It's good, good news. But they knew we were going to need some extra help that day and they were willing to make the sacrifice to come with us. There was the blessing of watching our team interact with people and just love them where they were. And I heard at least two invitations to come to worship with us. I, I was able to offer an invitation to come to our picnic later this afternoon. I heard at least four opportunities where members of our team sat with somebody hearing just the struggles they were having right now and were helping connect them to ongoing resources, not just for that day. There was the, the blessing of serving 91 families in just over two hours. We ran out of food yesterday with the help of a bunch of amazing youth volunteers from Vida Nueva Church and watching them enjoy serving the community. And then there was the blessing of hearing one of our volunteers as we were, were packing up at the end of the day. She said, this is addictive. <laughs> to which I said, if you're going to have an addiction... Serving others is the one to have. <laughs> Serving others. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's, that's what we're going to explore in the Bible today. Would you pray with me? Lord, speak to us this day through, through these words, through your words, through our thoughts. Open our minds to... To know more of you. Open our eyes to see more of what you see. And set our hearts on fire. With the love that you have given us in Jesus Christ. Amen. As some of you know, this month at Clay Church, we are exploring our Clay Covenant. The promise we make at the end of every worship service. And every week we're building on that, and it's okay if you haven't been here until this week. I'm going to quickly kind of recap, and then we're going to keep moving through that covenant. The first week we talked about pursuing the faithful life. And I, and I introduced us to, to think about the, the faithful life that we're pursuing with three prepositions, with, from, and like. Right? We pursue a faithful life where we walk with Jesus every 
day. Where we seek to learn from Jesus every day. And in walking and learning, we become more and more like Jesus every day. And then last week we talked about how the next thing that we do in our promise is we begin to say how we're going to live out this faithful life. And the first thing we say is that we're going to reach up to God each day. Right? Last week we talked about how, how we do that. We do that by praying every day and by reading the scriptures every day. And we, we talked a little bit about how, you know, in any given day we might read the scriptures and think, it's not speaking to me today, but, but if we would take on that practice, then the words, they begin to form and shape us and they begin to be there when we need them to face the challenges and the struggles of life, to, to let the Spirit mold us in each and every moment as we seek to be like Jesus. So today we come to the next line, reaching out to serve someone this week. And as we've been doing each week, we're going to dive into Scripture and say, what, what can we learn from Scripture about? What, what are we saying when we say this? When we say we're going to reach out to serve someone this week, what, what are we really saying? We're going to look today at Luke chapter 22. If you want to pull out your Bibles and, and follow along. In Luke chapter 22... We find the, the story here of, of Jesus just before, in the hours before he's going to be arrested. Right? These are stories many of you know. They're stories we, we talk about every year as we lead through Lent and, and up to Easter. It's, it's Jesus in the, in the Last Supper, serving this meal, inviting the disciples to, to remember. And then it's Jesus in the, in the garden praying it's Peter saying, I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus saying, actually, you, you are. You're going to deny me three times. We find all of these stories in Luke 22, all these stories we talk about. But one we don't talk about as much, at least not in that context. It's nestled in between all of, all of these other stories. And uh, it's, a, it's a discussion that the disciples are having. Actually, they've just enjoyed the Last Supper. They've just experienced this Passover meal together. And then, this is what Luke 22 tells us. We pick it up in verse 24. An argument broke out among the disciples over which one of them should be regarded as the greatest. This is kind of a dangerous thing to do, but can we just try to imagine what Jesus was feeling in this moment? This is the end of the story. Not the beginning. This is the end of the story. Jesus has spent every day with these followers. He's been teaching them. He's been investing in them. He's been showing them God's way every day. And here he is. He knows the end is coming. He's sat down with them and he's giving them a way to remember all that they have experienced and all that he's going to be doing for them. And after that... He hears them, like, arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Imagine, like, like, do you not get this? And, and really, I, the disciples are asking a question that I sure think is easy. It's a version of a question that I think seeps into us so easily. And I, I've been thinking of this lately as the devil's question. The devil's question is, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? 
Where will I end up in the power structure? Will, will, how will this benefit my future? How will this help me succeed? For the disciples, have I done enough for, for me to take the, the seat of the, of the greatest next to Jesus? Have, have, I, have I done enough? Have I checked enough things off this list of walking with Jesus for my status and, and position in his kingdom? Then we find out Jesus hears them. I also like to imagine this moment, right? The disciples see Jesus walking right over to them, and they're like, uh-oh. Which part of that do you think he heard? Is he going to be mad? What's he going to say? And Jesus addresses them, and this is what he says. Luke twenty two twenty five. But Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles rule over their subjects, and those in authority over them are called friends of the people. Right, Jesus, he doesn't rebuke them here kind of find that glad because I ask that question what's in it for me sometimes I think about my status sometimes I'm kind of glad Jesus doesn't step in and yell at them he steps in and he keeps the teaching going and Jesus says to them look the path of the world is directed toward power and influence and standing and image Jesus says those obsessed with the empire, they, they desire the power to rule over others. They desire standing to, to say how good they are. All is they're worried about their image. That's the path of the world. But not, not for you. And notice, he doesn't invite them to take this path. He doesn't say, oh, I hope you'll walk a path of servanthood. He says, Look, you've been with me. You know me. You know my love. You're going to walk a path of servanthood as I have shown you. And then Jesus keeps going. He says, but that's not the way it will be with you. Instead, the greatest among you must become like a person of lower status and the leader like a servant. Right, here it is. When, when you find God's way, you aren't going to worry anymore about how much power you have or, or how much influence you have. You aren't going to worry about status and, and position. You aren't going to worry about how good you look on your Facebook posts. Okay, I might have added that one Facebook wasn't around in the time of Jesus. You're going to be set free from all those worries that the world puts on you. Right, Jesus... Jesus, at this very pivotal moment in his life, in the life of those who will follow him, knowing that he's going to model a whole new way of serving the world, a whole new way of peace and love as he goes to the cross. He says, you're going to be set free from the ways of the world. How? How? By realizing that the way of God is to serve others, to put others first. You're going to be able to find, Jesus says to his followers, you're going to be able to find your true self and your true calling and your true joy. No longer in how much success and income and standing that you have, but in how your life makes an impact 
in the lives of others. And I wonder if the disciples in this moment began to, to sense what Jesus was saying. I mean, the reality is you can't control how the, how the world sees you with how much influence you have or, or how much power, but, but you can control how much you put into the world. So let me set you free from all of that to live as I do and to serve and to experience the deep joy that comes in knowing the Father's love. And Jesus goes on. He then says, so which is greater, the one who is seated at the table or the one who serves at the table? Isn't it the one seated at the table? But I come to you as the one who serves. Jesus could have stopped his teaching with the call to be a servant. He essentially had said what he wanted the disciples to know, but he didn't stop there. He goes on and he offers this. He, he adds these lines about the, about the table. And as I've read this over and over again over the last couple weeks, thinking about this line and, and why, I'm, I'm struck by this. The ones who sit at the table and let others serve them, right? They sit asking, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? They sit worrying about how others are going to serve them. Letting the world come to them. On the other hand, those who are serving at the table, they're often driven by a different question. What's in this for others? How can I make this a better experience for those who I am serving? The one who serves at the table, they're active. They are moving, they're helping, they're making a difference in someone else's life. Not just conversing at the table about how the world should be or, or how to use one's power, but, but doing something in that moment so others are supported and fed. Our question today, right, is what does it look like in our lives to reach out to serve someone this week? What does it look like when we say that? Well, it begins with a different question than the one that is at the heart of the disciples' squabble, the one we too often ask, what's in it for me, begins with a different question. It begins with the question, what is in it for others? What is in this for God's kingdom? A life of serving someone every day, we might think of it this way, it begins with the question, what are people around me hungering and thirsting for? And how can I and God's love meet that need in their lives so that they are set free by God's love as well? How can I meet those needs to show them God's way? Do you remember a story a, a few years ago, I think it was 2018, about the kids that were trapped in the cave in Thailand? There were 12 kids from a soccer team and, uh, and one of their assistant coaches. And after practice one day, they had gone to explore this cave. But the monsoon season began early and it rained and rained. And they ended up trapped deep into this cave. The, uh, 
the story has been made into a made into a movie called 13 Lives. Ron Howard directed it. It's on Netflix. It's if you don't mind a little a lot of water and a, and a lot of claustrophobia in a movie. It's a uh, it's a wonderful movie. I think about those kids. They were in this cave for nine days before anybody got to them. Nine days they were in there. And it was nearly two weeks before they got everybody out. The rescue effort itself, it involved, listen to this, the rescue effort for these 12 boys and their coach involved more than 10,000 people, more than 100 divers, representatives from a hundred governmental agencies, 900 police officers, and 2,000 soldiers. Many of these people, particularly of the, of the 10,000, they just stopped whatever they had going on in life. They stopped their jobs, they gave up weeks of income, and they just showed up as the community came together to save these 13 lives. Now, I had heard the story, but the, the movie, which is based on and, and well based on the, on the facts of the story. The movie had these stories, and, and two of them just really struck me as I thought about servanthood. The first was the story of the villagers that lived essentially at the base of this mountain where the cave, the cave was like in a mountain, kind of in the bottom of a mountain. And, uh, and the village, there was a village right at the bottom. And as the, as the monsoon season began, the rain was coming in the top of the, of the mountain and, and filling the cave. And so a, a, an engineer, a water engineer, realized that if they could stop the water from coming into the sinkholes in the mountain, then they could lower the level of water in the cave. And so that effort started. They began damming up around the sinkholes and, and rooting the water down the side of the mountain. But all that water had to have somewhere to go. And so they met with all of these villagers. They brought them together and they said, look, we're trying to save these boys, but we've gotta, the water's got to go somewhere. Um, and it's all going to end up in your rice fields. It's going to wipe out your livelihood. Is, can we do that? And not only did they say yes, knowing that area, they were part of the teams that went up into the mountain to reroute the water to flood their own fields. They were willing to sacrifice everything to save the lives of these 13 people. One billion liters of water ended up diverted into their fields. The second story from the movie, again, all based on true events, came in the midst of the rescue efforts. During the last two days, they kind of got a break, and they were able to get uh, eight of the boys out. But during the last two days, it started raining again. The monsoon came back, and, uh, and the water levels were going up to dangerous levels in the cave. Richard Stanton uh, was one of the, the divers from from Brit from a British rescue crew, and uh, in the movie, they come into the cave essentially for the last rescue to get the last five and the and the Thai seals that were in there with them out, and uh, and they see that the water level has risen, and they've been in there a couple times with high water levels, so they know how dangerous the currents are, and as as the night before as they're sitting, he says, "I will not take a team in there if I don't know if I don't know that they can come out." And the next day they walk in and they see how dangerous it's going to be. There's no guarantee they're coming out. And yet he takes his team in. The movie handles this. You just see for a moment, like 
he sees it, and, and everybody's like standing there waiting for the answer. He's already helped rescue eight kids, more than they thought they were going to be able to do with the danger of it. He's sacrificed two weeks. He's put his life in danger multiple times. He knew there was a chance they wouldn't come out, and yet he goes in. This is what a life of service looks like. Stepping in, even when it's dangerous. Not unaware of the dangers, not unprepared for the dangers, but willing to give of ourselves for others. Because we know something that the movie doesn't even, doesn't even address. We know that every act of service offers a glimpse of God. Every sacrifice, even the small ones, they give us an idea, a glimpse at the power of God's love in our world and in our society. Every act of service brings God's kingdom a little closer for us and for our world. A life of reaching out to serve someone every week. It expands the love of Jesus. It offers this, this glimpse to others of this love that we know that transforms lives. There's this great line in Paul's letter to the Galatians. He writes this to them. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Serving as Christ served is more than a, more than a once-a-year check-off-the-box event. I'm afraid we sometimes think of service this way. Yeah, it's good to do service every once in a while. And, and it is, and it's a great doorway to, to make it a, you know, to make it a, a habit that we're going to do service every so often. But, but when we make this promise, I think we're saying something more. I think we're not saying I'm just going to you know, add up my service hours so that I can be recognized for the, for the service that I'm doing or so that I can feel good. Paul echoes Jesus in saying serving, it isn't, it isn't about you or how it makes you feel. It's about, it's about a way of being in the world. It's about a way of orienting our lives so they aren't self centered, where they celebrate our freedom to, to reach out and change the world around us with this love and grace that we know. A life of service is about always asking, how can I add value to the life of someone else? And yes, this takes place when we sign up for the big volunteering day, but it also it also shows up when at work we ask, how today can I serve someone else in a way that helps them know the love of Jesus? When I'm at school, how can I serve someone else, put their needs first and show them the love of Jesus in the way that I live? Serving as Jesus served, it includes all these things Jesus taught, loving one's neighbor, Offering time, giving freely, and being willing to make a sacrifice. 
And I think all this brings us back to the, the question I started with, right? Have you ever felt really good after, after serving someone or, or sacrificing for someone or going out of your way for someone? And I saw heads nodding and smiles, so I know many of you thought of something and you're like, yeah, it, it feels really good. And some of you admitted, yes, we've even felt a little guilty along the way. But the truth is that we feel that way because that's how God intended us to live. We feel that way because that's the joy of God in, in a life of service. This is how God intended us to be giving of ourselves for others. This is how God's kingdom comes to be. Which is just, again, to say we don't say that we're going to serve someone this week is a checklist item. We promise this every week because it makes it just a part of how we live our lives into this joy that God offers every time we reach out. Because we know that true servanthood at its core, it's being so wrapped up in the love of Jesus that we can't help but want to serve others so they know that love in their lives. Each week at Clay Church, we have a faith fit challenge. You can find it in the Life Guide. Um, you can find it online as, as part of our um, circle curriculum. If you look under resources at the bottom of our, our webpage. So here is this week's faith fit challenge. Serve someone this week by coming over to help me finish my deck. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm very much kidding. I, I'm so kidding that I don't even have all the materials yet that we need to do it. So, so I'm totally kidding. But, but here's really why I'm kidding, because I have a wonderful support system, and, and when I'm ready for help, I know that I can ask, and there are wonderful people who are going to step out and support me. And I don't, need, I don't need everybody to come over and help on my deck, because I know God's love. I know God's love in my life, and I know the community where I need to turn when I need an expression of that love. So I, I joke to point to something really important for us today. We're called to serve those who don't know God's love and support in their lives. Oh, yes, we're absolutely called to serve each other, too, because that's how we equip each other to go out. But the ultimate part of this call is to spread God's love into the world, to support those, to support those who don't have a built-in support system, to reach out to those who, who may not have a church home to turn to when they need prayer, to reach out to those who may not have anybody who just lets them know they matter on the days when things are falling apart, that they, that they matter to God and that they matter to someone. Paul says in the book of Acts, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, in this work of service, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So this is our real faith fit challenge. I want to invite you to just make a list of the ways that you have served someone in the last month. Just reflect on this promise that you make and, and how it is being played out in your life right now. And then make a list of ways that, that you can imagine in the month ahead that you can serve 
others. Maybe think of somebody you could serve each week for the next four weeks. Somebody at work. Somebody through your, your ministries of Clay Church. Who is someone you, who you could serve? Someone who you could meet a need? Someone you could help to know that they aren't alone at this time in their life? Or that you've recognized the need in their life and you're going to fill it because that's what followers of Jesus do. As we prepare to do that, I want to invite you just to reach your hands out in front of you and look at your hands. Just look at your hands. And turn them over and look at the other side of your hands. Some of you are thinking right now, Pastor Brian, this is weird. Why am I looking at my hands? Look at them again and realize these, these hands you're looking at, your hands, they are holy. They are holy. Your hands, they, they can share the love of Jesus. They are holy. They can be used by God to transform a life. They are holy. Right? These hands are just hands. They're a metaphor for your life this invitation to reach out and to embrace others in the love of Jesus, to touch someone else with God's love. So we answer this question as we make this promise every Sunday. How can you reach out with these holy hands to serve someone this week? Amen.